Welcome to Diversity Dish, where we're dishing on everything diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice related. My name is Cedrola Maruska, and we're bridging the gap between what needs to be said and what needs to be heard. Those individual experiences that are often ignored or simply dismissed. Sometimes I'm dining alone. Sometimes I'm dining with friends. And sometimes I'm dining a la carte. No matter how I'm dining, it promises to be delicious. Let's dig in. Dr. Tracy Q. Gilbert is an educator, writer, researcher, and consultant who uses conversation to help achieve sexual wellness and healing for Black people and racial justice in sex ed pedagogy. Using lectures, interactive workshops, and conversation series, Dr. Gilbert works to help communities unpack the mental, historical, and cultural barriers that keep us from being honest, having productive conversations about sex and sexuality. Dr. Gilbert has nearly 25 years experience teaching urban youth, young adults, and their advocates. She received her Master's of Science in Education at the University of Pennsylvania and her doctorate from the Center for Human Sexuality Studies at Widener University. She has taught for several different organizations, including Widener, Christiana Healthcare Systems, Evalure House, the Innovative Learning Institute, and the Center for Sex Education. At present, she consults and conducts direct services through her independent agency, Embi Anea. Hello, Dr. Tracy. Thank you so much for being on the show today. I cannot wait to get into this conversation with you. (laughs) Hello, hello. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you for the invitation. My pleasure. Dr. Gilbert, first of all, before we get into any of all this stuff, let's just learn a little bit about you and what you're passionate about right now. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, so that's such a great and yummy question. I think I'm really passionate about education right now. I think just because right now I'm in the midst of some conversations that are happening in my profession right now about adolescent sex education. Mm-hmm. And particularly, there have been some colleagues of mine who've been coming under fire for the ways that they talk about sexual health with young people. Uh, a lot of the mm-hmm. traditional model has been this kind of preventative uh, sex will kill you and here is how to protect yourself from it killing you and destroying your life, right? And what the new school, I consider myself included as part of that, what the new school of educators I've come to understand is that that's not only inaccurate, but it's harmful. Mm. And so what many of us try to do is come from what I call a developmental place where we really try to offer information that's rooted in the real experience of sexuality, which also may in fact include pleasure, And we teach from that lens. And so one of my colleagues who teaches through that lens has come under fire in a way that has, you know, in some cases to do with them, but in most cases has more to do with the field at large and the ways that um, we are reaching this time, I think, in society where it's important for us to 
to stop cowering about what we're doing and to be honest and, and to be transparent and to be willing to stand on our values in terms of what we believe young folks need, what we know young folks need and what we perceive to be um, the need based on the science, based on the experiences that continue to be reported to us. And so that that's kind of been my thing in this immediate moment that I'm passionate about. So, <laughs> wow. That is so amazing. And it's so interesting because you say that, I mean, you said a whole lot right there. (laughs) (laughs) I tend to do that. So I do. (laughs) That's a good thing. That's a good thing. I'm I'm not mad about it. But to, to even think that we have to talk about the fact that sex is you know, it's not a horrible thing and that mm-hmm. there may actually be some pleasure connected mm-hmm. to sex. I mean, when we think about sex, I'm, 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 I'm always amazed that the pleasure is the part that is always made to be taboo. Mm-hmm. Shame mm-hmm. on you if you enjoy and you feel good and you yeah. like sex, Yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And, and, so- and, and, and I think even before you even get to, if you like sex, shame on you, if you feel good, period. Yes. Right. Like we have such a anti-pleasure ethos in our society at large. And I think so much of that by design trickles into sex as well. But, um, you know, the idea that you, you cannot feel good about life, that life is this hard, arduous thing that you're doing because you try to reach some long-term goal that's going to be waiting for you. Maybe when you die, maybe when you retire, you know, there has to be some type of letting go. But in the meantime, you yeah. know, the, the spoils, the valor comes to those who work hard and who struggle and don't feel anything other than pain. And, Ooh, and it, yes. it's just time out for that, right? It's, it's always yes. been time out, but we're definitely seeing like, that's not sustainable. That's not a sustainable model. Hey, how would it feel to use your talents in the cause of social justice? It's no secret that Black, Indigenous, queer, people of color, or those who are part of any marginalized group don't get a fair shake, experience systemic racism, and must work harder for the same rights and privileges that white people receive just by virtue of their race. Also know it doesn't have to be that way. Sometimes that can get overwhelming. Where do we start to make a real difference? What we know we need are upstanders and advocates, people ready to stand up, take action, and spend their privilege to help others. If that's you, I want to invite you on a discovery date with me. Discovery date is a full day immersion in your passions, talents, and desires to help you create a blueprint of powerful, focused action where you'll make the most impact. On your date, we'll discover your strengths, we'll find your lane, and we'll begin your journey. It's just that simple. Discovery Dates with Sadie. If you want to know more, just go to sedrolamariska.com backslash discovery dash dates. Hey, what are you waiting for? Come on over. I'm waiting for you. So it really isn't. It really yeah. isn't. And I and I'm happy to hear you say that because one of the reasons it's one of the reasons why I have decided intentionally to also, you know, my work is in talking about 
equity and inclusion and, you know, social justice and that sort of thing. But I've intentionally set aside Friday through Sunday to talk about the joy, Mm. black joy, because I feel that it is, it, it, gives a skewed image of black people or even people who are just fighting for justice for understanding for humanity that that's all we do and we're just you know 24 7 we're just we're down and out and we're sad fighting and we're arguing and we're yelling and exactly you I think you would have an amazing conversation with my sibling uh Jamie Campbell who uh who has pivoted like Jamie for a long time was doing work around uh DEI and just ended a pretty lucrative position doing that work but one of the things that he just really leaned into was just this idea of like I'm tired of I'm tired of being, I'm tired of fighting this fight. I'm tired of making it a fight. What I want to do is support folks of color to be at peace, to be in spaces. And and he specifically talks about black joy. Like that is his centering of his work as well. So I'm like, y'all two need to chat. We need to chat. We do, we do. Because I am so about it because you know what? I have a lot of joy in my life. Yes. And having that joy should not make me feel like I'm not doing my part in this fight yeah having that joy is what we're fighting for is it right that's the point exactly and and also I think it's important to understand that for many of us it's it's a you know many of our ancestors many of our elders it's a lifelong journey right so it's not that you're going to reach some place and you're like now we have liberation (laughs) now we have joy it's like no you have to have them together they they are literally one in the same and so as you're moving about your life and you're uh having those moments where you're calling out things and you're raising ruckus and you're you're having these conflicts and addressing them you also have to acknowledge that even within that there has to be space for joy there has to yeah. be space for rest there has to be space for peace or else it's not worth none of it is worth doing none of it so, is worth doing we might absolutely. as well just do you know go about with the status quo and not worry about it all and just exactly they exactly. it doesn't matter absolutely. and in that case why bother no in that case <laughs> no 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 we're not doing that we work we, we're not we, doing we, that. <laughs> we're not doing that 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 is exactly right Yes. Um, so I, I love that, you know, I love that your passion, I love where your passion lies. And I think that, uh, can you tell us if you believe that your passion lies within the realm of what you believe to be your superpower? Ooh, ooh, that's a great question. I think so. Yeah, because I I believe that what I perceive myself to be good at and what other people perceive to be me to be good at. um, And I when I say good at, I mean, like what is beneficial, what is healing, what is helpful. Mm -hmm. um, It it extends directly from the things I love to do. Mm -hmm. So facilitating conversations, asking deep probing questions, Mm -hmm. thinking deeply about concepts, Mm -hmm. being with people uh, with their energies, with their um, emotional, social, emotional needs, being Mm -hmm. with them and being present to help facilitate them through those processes. Like, yeah, all of that is passionate for me. Like it's a passionate draw for me. I am one of those people who perceives themselves to have a clear purpose in this life and a a clear vocation, if you will. And so I think 
I finally, within the last few years, have kind of reached that sweet spot where I'm in my lane and in my zone. Yes. And so, yeah, absolutely. I think I am, my my superpower does match up with my passion. Absolutely. Ooh, I love it. I love it. So tell us a little bit about what it is that you have studied. Where is where is your zone of genius and what, what you do? Yes, I love that zone of genius. Come yes. on, zone of genius. <laughs> I feel smart. Okay. Um, so for me, my, my expertise, my zone of genius is in the, in the realm of sexuality and particularly looking at the ways that uh, racialization has affected sexual experience for um, descendants of African-American or Africans um, enslaved in the United States. Mm -hmm. And so generally speaking, you could call that quote unquote black sexuality, but really it is about imagining or thinking about what it means to be in a black body uh, as a sexual being, as a function of this experiment of being in the United States and having gone through what that process was like. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, that, that's my specialty. I, it, it is particularly, I'm particularly interested in both the affirming and deleterious things that have happened. And so uh, my, my work is research-based. It mm -hmm. is based on my dissertation work, a grounded theory study that I did where I talked to regular, regular, schmegular Black folks, <laughs> ask them questions, and then I use that to articulate a theory. So mm -hmm. the specific theories I've created are the Black, uh, black sexual epistemology, which is mm -hmm. a way of moving about the world as someone racialized as Black. Um, mm. moving about your sexual universe as someone racialized as Black, um, and also the sexiness engineering model, which is a way that all folks can go about the world organizing and expressing and negotiating their sexuality. And so that's that's my jam. That's my stuff. That's what Ooh. I do. <laughs> You're going to have to break it down for us a little bit, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Right. I know it's real academic, but, but basically if you can imagine yourself being in a music studio, right. Mm -hmm. So um, a music studio where, you know, pe people record CDs and songs or whatever, and you, you recognize that when you come in, one of the main things you see is a control panel mm -hmm. that has a series of like sliding sliders and, and rows and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so I imagine that a person's sexuality is kind of like that. You are in this space that represents your, the fullness of your sexual universe. Mm -hmm. You come in as what I call the erotic self, which is the, the chief kind of arbiter or the um, leader of your sexual experience. Mm -hmm. You come to the panel and you have access to eight different channels of sexiness. Mm -hmm. And sexiness, um, I, uh, that is literally like the stuff of sex. So if you think about what sexiness to you, you might think, you know what, when I am with my lover and we are getting it in and I get this good orgasm and da da da, that's sexiness to you. To you. Mm -hmm. So in that case, you might access the channel of sensual pleasure. Mm -hmm. um, or if you're someone who's like, you know what, sexiness to me, when I walk in a room and everybody's staring at me and I got my bomb dress on and I'm like, that's sexiness, in which case you would access comportment, right? Mm -hmm. And so, as you're coming to this control panel, you have access to all the channels mm -hmm. and you negotiate, you, you put them where you want them to be in terms of the level of expression you want to mm -hmm. have or um, the level of sexiness it, from that channel you want in your life. Mm 
And so you as the erotic self are interacting with these channels of sexiness. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, you're also in societies where you're coming up against other people's control panels. Yes. You're existing in systems that say, hey, you ain't got time to have sex. You got to go do this job. Uh, <laughs> we don't like that you uh, are this sexy. You need to tamper this down. Um, you're born with something that you perceive to be a disability or you um, acquire something that you perceive to be a dis- disability such that you're like, well, I can't quite access it the way I want to because this is harming my body or it's affecting my body in a way that's called um the gain in music technology and that's mm-hmm. like it it either amplifies the signal of your channel or it weakens it mm-hmm. uh, and the model we call that external influences mm-hmm. and so being aware of those external influences helps you determine okay do i want to access my sexiness a different way or do i want to maybe not perceive this as being as much of an external influence as i perceive it to be mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and that whole 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 process is sexuality mm-hmm. it is your se- it is the literal sexual universe that mm-hmm. you have and so each one of us is in possession of the capacity to create our own uh symphony if you will of mm-hmm. sexiness mm-hmm. and for me what's most important is how clearly are you in communion with your control panel how right. clearly are you aware of what's accessible to you and how powerful do you feel in your capacity to create that Right. And so going back to what I said about my passion and about adolescence, right? Yeah. Like to me, this changes that discussion quite a bit mm-hmm. in terms of what young people have access to and right. what we can introduce them to recognizing like that sexuality isn't just what you do with what's between your legs. It right. is literally the source energy that can create all amazing and wonderful things. Yeah. And so it's not about squelching that. It's about helping people learn how to tap into that and cultivate that in life affirming ways. Yes. Yes. So I know that's still even kind no, of like, it's a, okay. <laughs> I, you know, I, I but hopefully it's a little clearer to folks. It is it very much so because I think as you're talking, I'm thinking about my 10 year old daughter. Mm-hmm. I look at and I see how free she is yes. in terms of her sexuality. Yes. And it's not because she's trying to have sex, right? right? But it is simply because she is learning how to move about in this world yes. and what makes her comfortable. Yes. And so when you say that people are like, no, you can't talk to young kids like this, or you're, you know, you can't, you can't give them this information. You have to kind of squelch it. I go, no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. You have to allow them to express themselves because if you can't express yourself in one way, you're mm-hmm. going to express yourself in a different way. Absolutely. And whether that different way is beneficial or detrimental is, is a crapshoot. Yeah. Yeah. And, and often, and however, often because sexuality is so demonized, often yes. it does become detrimental, right? Yes. And I think we have um, a, an amazing researcher I want to lift up, Shamika Thorpe. And, and I just want to lift her up real quick because I was just looking at her page now, Dr. Shamika. Mm-hmm. She's telling the story. She's doing the research of Black folks now who are adults, who mm-hmm. are reflecting back on what their childhood experiences were like. And they're showing the damage that, that has been done. They're talking about the damage and what that affects, those effects have been on them. Mm-hmm. And sure, we can say, you know, resiliency is, is something that's really common in our communities. Yes, you can bounce back. It doesn't harm you. But also, if we, if we, if we know better, why not do better, right? Yes. If we know that it can, in 
fact cause unnecessary harm, then why are we saying, well, no, we just got to do it with the new, that's what I got. So the new generation, no, cover your ears, cover your eyes, no, da, 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 keep your, like, that's, that's not, it's not useful. It's not right. useful. You have to grow. There has yeah. to be growth and evolution and everything. And it, this is no different. Absolutely. I don't understand why, how, and if you know, please share with us <laughs> how it came to be that sexuality or the expression of ourselves in that way he sure. came to be so demonized. Sure. Well, I can offer you kind of what my research has shown me or what my kind of my perspective is it, on it is, and particularly mm-hmm. looking at the experiences of Black folks, right? Mm-hmm. So we know that um, there was both the stealing of Black bodies from the continent, as well as the colonization of African cultures on the continent, mm-hmm. right? And so a, a direct uh, motivation for that had to do and a direct um, byproduct of that was sexual repression and erotic rep- repression, right? Mm. So we had these puritanic European um, folks who came to the continent and they saw the ways that that Black sexuality was just, African sexualities were just kind of living and thriving and, and, and they bastardized that and they mm-hmm. interpreted what that meant. And, and their whole process, if you, if you, like look at the history, it's not a surprise that the vast majority of those folks called themselves missionaries, right? They were trying to, you know, save the savages. They were trying to, you know, you know, and and part of that was, we've got to get all of this out of you. We got to, you know, we've got to release all of that. We've got to save you from yourselves. And so it started there, but where it started to evolve was when we learned, we came over to the new world and, and in newer generations, we learned that, oh, we need to tamp down these parts of ourselves in order to be accepted, in order to be able to survive, in order to be able to thrive and well, as best we could at that time, in order to be able to thrive in this society, um, because we, it, it, the structure that we're involved in now no longer supports who we were at home. Mm-hmm. And so while we know that there's still like in the Caribbean and still some of the places where there were more of us than them, mm-hmm. a lot of the traditions and a lot of the expressions were able to be maintained and they're still fairly healthy in a lot of ways, particularly in the United States where we were not the majority, where there was so much division and, and so much harm. A lot of us are like, not, like we lost a lot of that. And so a lot of it was literally it was literally beat out of us it was killed out of us it was it was shamed out of us Mm -hmm. and and then when you add on even though it had its some of its positives when you add on the influence of religion when you add on the influence of our own churches Mm. perpetuating some of these rules and ideas then it got to the place where it was like yeah like at this point we don't even want to talk about sex let alone like feel it or like feel it or be it at the same time, though, we were still having sex, right? <laughs> so there's that that interesting right, juxtaposition right, right. of like, well, yeah, it just really, really goes down under, and nobody talks about it, even though everybody's doing it, and and in in a lot of cases, even in more harmful ways. So, right, yeah. So that is really kind of what I see as the cause of where we are or where we've been. Right. Um, I do think we have the blessing of newer generations and just kind of more eyes being awakened 
to like the reality of sexuality, of sexual diversity, of the mm-hmm. fallacy of white supremacy, the mm-hmm. fallacy of white superiority, that enough more people are waking up and saying, uh-uh, we're not living like this no more. We don't want to live like this no more. This has not served us. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's still so much, so far to go. There's still a lot that we have left to do because there's still a lot of us that don't quite get it. Yeah. And, or they see it, but they don't quite believe that it's po- like are we really we really coming we going out? Like, this we way really, yeah we really gonna be free we really getting the freedom are we, where are really? we going? Okay. <laughs> so you know there's just a lot more that's left for us to do um, yes so, yeah yes wow I can so see that and I think that it has a lot to do with the way that we emote I've been talking about that a lot in the past few weeks because mm-hmm. it is glaring to yeah. me how as black folk we emote incredibly like we have a way of of putting joy out there that embraces everyone and everything we have a way of celebrating things we have a way of partying absolutely we just have a way of just we're corporal people right like we 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 always had that awareness of intuitive corporal knowledge right yeah. like it wasn't just oh we just out here moving our bodies it is we we are in touch we're in tune with our spirit we're mm. in tune with the the salience of spirit as a universal concept mm. and I think that's a big piece of why we were able to kind of latch on to religion so strongly at the beginning because it's like oh yeah we we believe that we believe in one spirit mm-hmm. just didn't realize what that meant in terms of how it was being interpreted right. elsewhere but but yeah, our ethos, like everything we do isn't just about what's in our heads. And that has always been traditionally Eurocentric thinking of like, mm-hmm. I think, therefore I am. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, that's very different than what we we know as part of our ethos is I am because we are. And it's mm-hmm. still all being, not just thinking about it, but literally being in it in our bodies. Right. And so that's still, I think, for, the fortunate thing is that even in spite of the mental colonization we've been through, you still see our, our spirit. It's always there. It's always been there. <laughs> like we can, we go, go back all those uh, decades and, and years and it's always been there. Always. Yes, absolutely. For sure. Absolutely. So that is really, says a lot. I mean, you know, when we talk about resilience, we talk about resilience in the, in the community. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times that's what we're talking about and we're not realizing that that's what we're talking about. Yeah. Is that, ability to know continuously know that yes. it is about a we and we are not that I think therefore I am but I am and I feel therefore we are yes we feel each other and we are you know yes. together yes so you talk about sexual wellness and sexual healing mm-hmm. <laughs> for mm-hmm. black people and I would like for you to expound on that just a little bit, the sexual wellness and the healing that we need within our communities or individually. That's such a great question. And I think it it really just extends beautifully from the conversation we've been having. So when we think about the racialization that has happened for Black folks, we 
if we look at it, you can recognize that it runs inherent with the um, sexualization of Black folks, the hypersexualization of mm -hmm. Black folks that has occurred from our society. And I mean that to say the ways in which we've codified Blackness as being hypersexual, right? Mm -hmm. We've codified Black bodies as being grotesque and, and explicit and pornographic and all of these things. Mm -hmm. You can only imagine or, or you have to, I would imagine that you'd have to at least question if this has been a systemic generational uh, process that has occurred over generations mm -hmm. on top of the actual physical violence that has occurred mm -hmm. to black bodies in this country, then, then the question for me is what has that done to the regular, regular, schmegular black person trying mm -hmm. to move about the world, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. We know that um, ancestral memory is a thing. We know that the the trauma that that it lives in our bodies, that it can be passed down through the DNA, and so in my mind, when we talk about sexual healing, when we talk about sexual wellness, we have to start with well, what are the pieces that have been making us sick? Right. Yes. Like what are the experience, what are the things that con contribute to us being sick? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, we can say all day, okay, sexual wellness, you know, what you need to do is start giving yourself an orgasm every day. And you need <laughs> to start telling that person you want to be with that you, you know, tell them you want to be with them. That's yeah. all good stuff. Yeah. But it's very much like putting on a band-aid. Have you solved the illness? Yes. Have you dealt with the sickness? Mm -hmm. And so um, to me, it goes hand in hand, really starting with saying, what, what do I know to be my experience of mm -hmm. this phenomenon of racialization, right? Mm -hmm. There's lots of folks who will say, oh, it ain't got nothing to do with me. I, maybe it don't. <laughs> and I will also say there's a lot of it that's subconscious that has been so ingrained that we don't see it until someone points it out to us. Right. And I tell this story, I feel like I'm gonna tell this story everywhere I go. And it's funny because the person, <laughs> I don't know, at some point, maybe I'll meet the person who said this to me, but one of the folks I interviewed, or I'll meet back with them, one of the folks I interviewed for my dissertation, I asked them to talk about the experiences of race. And they were like, no, no, ain't none. I, da, 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 da. I was like, okay, cool. It's not far be it for me to impose right. that on you. Yes. Um, at the end of our conversation though, I started to just have general, like you said, like general last minute comments and things. And, yes. and she proceeded to tell me about how she was engaged to be married. Oh, that's great. Super awesome, right? She was like, yeah. And I've been working on my fellatio technique because he, he has a history of dating white girls. And here was this clear situation that she could not see right, that right, was literally right. embedded into her psyche, right? Yes, right. And so when we talk about healing and wellness, it is about doing that deep work and saying, what have I been taught, right? Like I think um, mm -hmm. a, a lot of therapy folks, a lot of my therapy colleagues talk about like, how have these systems shown up in your body, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? And, and, and it's not easy work to just kind of sit and write, like you have to sit and expose yourself to things and see what comes up for you affectively. Because again, we African people, we live in our bodies. And so very yes. often it could be something that's in our body that we have not yet brought to our consciousness because that is how we've historically processed things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So sometimes it's just sitting and saying, mm, ah, that thing, mama said that thing when I was six. Mm -hmm. It's still living with me mm -hmm. here in my belly, mm -hmm. here in my womb, here in my brain, you know, and doing that work to figure out this thing, does it still serve me? Mm -hmm. ah, 
mm, I have an opportunity to redirect. I have an opportunity to, you know, and so it's that, that work. That's mm-hmm. the work of sexual healing to me, but, mm-hmm. but it starts with acknowledging the thing, you know, so mm-hmm. to, to, uh, I always use mama, mommy Yala's words, call a thing, a thing. When we call a thing, a thing that gives us an opportunity to focus our attention on it and let it speak to us. Yes. Call a thing, a thing. Yes. It's so interesting when I, and this is kind of away from the sexuality. I don't know if it is really, but when I was, I didn't get married until I was 34 years old, mm-hmm. but being from Caribbean background, black woman, I was already like, people were already like, Hey, yeah. When's this? Hello. When's this happening? This is absolutely sexuality, by the way. Yes. (laughs) And, you know, initially you, you, you answer the question because you feel you need to answer the question. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I don't know, or Mm -hmm. I just haven't found the right person Mm -hmm. or, you know, what have you. And when all my friends were married and I was still unmarried, mm-hmm. I had to do, I had to out loud talk to myself yes. and tell myself that I was okay. Yes. I am okay. I am yes. fine. I cannot just pick up a man off the street and get married. This is not a thing. And yes. why do I need to be married? I yes. have all these questions. And once I started to ask those questions and I started to go through the answers and I started to really internalize or deprogram myself to thinking that I had to be married, I started saying, you know what? I'm also waiting for a man before I buy a place Mm -hmm. to live, to use the dishes that my mother has given me. Mm -hmm. Right? Right? Like I'm waiting for a man to give me permission to use the dishes that are mine. Come on, come on. On, absolutely right how right. many I, I was gonna say it's probably some listeners listen to us now that's got whole lingerie sets they ain't used yet. they haven't used because they're they waiting. not used yet because they waiting for a man who may or may not come may. don't get me wrong he may come he may but he come. also may not he may and not and even if he did come it's okay like he ain't gonna be mad that you already used that lingerie sis like he's not gonna be mad <laughs> not if he not if he's the man for you Right, right. Like, not I want a man that's gonna be mad if I use this lingerie. If already? he's the one, if they are the one for you, they are not gonna be mad. They're gonna be happy that yes. look, I get to see it now all the time. Right, right. When I want to see it, yes. <laughs> so I really can resonate with what you said in terms of sitting deeply with with things that come up, yeah, and really questioning why you have that feeling, why you're in that, in that place, does it serve you and how is it serving you? And And I I appreciate that. Yes, I I just real quick, I want to appreciate you saying that because I, I, I think it is, that is absolutely part of the narrative that black femmes in particular get that we are not marriageable, that we are not lovable, that we are, that we're high maintenance. If we ask for a specific type of relationship, right? Yes. Like all of that is racialized right. and it's okay to say, I learned that here. I do not accept that. Right. I reject that and reorganize my lives in this ways, in these ways that are more affirming to me. Right. And so it, it's, it's from that, that stems from that, the way that I now relate to and speak to and with my children. Like mm. I, I said to you with my daughter, when yeah. I'm watching her and she's so free, I just watch her. I don't put any expectations on her of how yes. she's supposed to be. That's so beautiful. Right. That's so beautiful. Yeah. Because it's yeah. because I feel like that 
might have been done to me at some point and I didn't really because you know you grew up Christian you know mm-hmm. very straight laced conservative Christian and so you already knew that there were some things you just were not going to do and the, you know right. people who who move like that or who did that or who were involved with that oh my god there yeah. is something oh they're they're the devil's work that's the yeah. devil's yeah. work right well I think also I think it's important to put to offer the both and. I always say Mm -hmm. this when we're talking about African folks, I think it's also important to use the both and and acknowledge that a lot of that narrative was also, it also came with good intentions, right? When you look at the history of sexual harm that's been caused to Black femme bodies in particular, a lot of it was about, I got to protect you. I have to protect you from someone perceiving you as being approachable or accessible, right? So a lot of these messages were of our mothers and our grandmothers trying to protect us from things that they experienced, right? And And I have that instinct too. Yeah. And I see her, you know, when she puts something on or where she moves a certain way, I have that instinct within me to say, you don't want to do that. And then I think to myself, I have to back up and say, why doesn't she want to do that? Right. Why is she not supposed, or how? why is she not free Mm -hmm. to be Right. And, and is to, the issue her or is it is the it society? And society. if it is the society, are there better tools? Because yeah. what we also know is that it doesn't matter what you wear, what mm-hmm. you wear does not protect you, right? Nope. What you say or how you say it does not protect you. So then the question is, are there other tools that we can be doing? Are there other actions that we can be doing right. that make this a, a more um, truly empowering situation or empowering lesson there. Right, right, correct. So you, you try to find that thing that you can say or that you can impart and not at that, maybe not at that moment, but somehow you can impart the, the, the dangers that you understand are out there, but not connect them yes. to the sexual expression. Because yes. I think that that too is a problem, right? When we're, we're trying to protect, but we're connecting and we're the, connecting the, it to the shame. Yes. It's a shame narrative. Yeah. Yes. And so mm-hmm. it's it's hard to extricate those two things. So to start with, you just don't want to do it that way. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah. so a, a so a lot of what we're talking about in terms of what you said that you were passionate about is really about racial justice, yes. right? And sexual education. Yeah. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah, I think, well, and and, and I'll, I'll be clear, I think racial justice is kind of a big buzzword that's happening in sexual yes. ed right now, right? Yes. Um, yes. And I also want to acknowledge that they're not, everybody's not saying the same thing, right? right? So I acknowledge that I'm talking about something that's a little bit different than what a lot of folks in racial justice and sex ed are talking about. Mm-hmm. Not invalid, like they're both valid discussions, right? I sure. think- um, Racial justice in sex ed, uh, and, and particularly in sexual health education, acknowledges the ways that Black and Brown communities have been systemically um, denied access to, to life-affirming sex education, as well mm-hmm. as sexual health resources. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, what we know about the science is that, or about the statistics is that Black and Brown children are more likely to be in school systems or to, to receive sex ed that is abstinence only, meaning yes. that it is only focused on marriage as this end-all be-all outcome for everyone Mm -hmm. and that anything outside of that is going to be harmful to you. Most of Mm -hmm. the time it is driven from the shame narrative. Not to say that abstinence in and of itself is quote unquote bad. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is 
abstinence only narratives tend to really force this idea of sex is harmful. It will kill you. And if you're doing it, there is something wrong with you. Right. <laughs> and, and this is before we even get into, you know, set folks who have same sex attractions, folks who may identify as something other than cisgender. Mm-hmm. Um, it just really is. It, it's not you again, we go back to what's useful. It's yes. not useful. It is helpful in terms of scaring young folks enough to where they can give you the performance that, oh, I'm good. I'm not having sex. Mm-hmm. Right. And that works right up until the moment where they're actually attracted to someone. And they and want then it's to. like, well, okay, mm-hmm. now I want to do it. I don't know what I'm doing because mm-hmm. you haven't taught me here about how to protect myself, how to um, utilize family planning, any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we know that black and brown children are more likely to get that narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, on top of that, they're more likely to live in areas where they do not have access to sexual health services, to comprehensive sexual health services. We know that in the curriculum, there tends to it tends to center a particular type of adolescent sexuality. So usually suburban white, mm-hmm. middle to upper class experiences, and it kind of asserts this norm of, and that's even in comprehensive. It asserts this norm of who is the sexual being. Mm-hmm. And so it often proposes is examples of sexual expression that aren't actually what young folks are are like young mm-hmm. folks of color are experiencing mm-hmm. um nor does it like it represents any of the 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 real-time experiences. So mm-hmm. often we'll talk about, well, what's healthy sexuality and what's non-healthy sexuality? And as someone who, you know, I love I love our culture, I love black people. Mm-hmm. It, it's a bee in my bonnet when I'm sitting in a class and they're talking about, well, let's talk about music. You know, let's talk about what is healthy sexual. Well, Taylor Swift might be a good example, but let's talk about those lyrics and the girl. So Nicki Minaj and mm. Cardi B and, and it's and often black children are used or black folks, black femmes, black queer folks are used as the guinea pigs to advance mm-hmm. the idea of what is normal, what is acceptable, what is healthy. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that part of racial justice right. that is also valid and important and needing to be addressed. And I talk about that as well. Mm-hmm. The other piece that I'm starting to understand for me that is a part of racial justice is really recognizing the opportunity we have to use sex education to address some of the concerns that I've raised. Mm-hmm. Right, Recognizing that sex ed didn't cause the establishment of Blackness as sexually amoral. Mm -hmm. Right. It did as a function within the system help perpetuate some of those ideas. Right. Mm -hmm. But it did not cause the harm and shame. Right. It did not cause the the physical trauma that's happening with bodies. Mm -hmm. And so there's that opportunity to say, well, how can I use this sex ed lesson to help facilitate that healing? Right. Mm -hmm. To to it's not again, sex ed didn't cause it, but sex ed can perpetuate often what I see is that sex ed because that we tend to see sex ed only focused on young people mm-hmm. and, and it, it follows the traditional education model of like we take your child out of your home out of your community we bring them over here into this incubator to give them the knowledge that they need so they think they can then go back and serve right and one that's not how we do things in our community right right like, parents will tell you ain't nobody finna raise my child but I mean, <laughs> that's my child how dare you yeah right um, but then it uh, perpetuates this idea, it, it, too, it perpetuates this idea that parents and communities do not have the capacity to be part of t- teaching their young people and to be part of the teaching process. Mm-hmm. And then three, it, it denies the fact that much of the harm that has happened in our, our communities is generational. So you're going to, you're going to quote unquote, heal this child 
And then what about mama and grandmama and un- and the uncle that was doing and the auntie that had, you know, all of these mm. different folks. And for me, that's antithetical to how we do things in our community. Mm-hmm. But to me, really racially just sex ed, it one, it pushes past this idea of any type of binaries. It recognized that this shit is messy. I'm sorry if I'm not supposed no, it's to okay. It's okay. That this is messy and it requires, uh, it's an art more so than it is a science. It recognizes that we have to, in order to really create healthy circumstances, we have to pull away from these isms. We have to pull away from whiteness as the rightness. We have to pull away from hetero, uh, hetero, cis heterosexism and that, that connection to whiteness, right? Mm-hmm. We have to pull away from ableism, all the different isms mm-hmm. that creates this hierarchy of whose bodies and whose sexualities are worth paying attention to and whose aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have to recognize that it has to happen in community. We cannot perform what is typically, again, a Eurocentric self. I am the only person here. And all I need to do is think the quote unquote right things. And that's how I'm in sexually intelligent. That's mm-hmm. how I'm sexually empowered. We can't use that model. Mm-hmm. We have to use a developmental model that recognizes that the young person is in community and that the community is just as responsible and has just as much of a right to weigh in on this information to receive this information as that young person Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so to me that's really a piece of racial justice that I feel like we we still have a little ways to go to really really build on that yeah the we instead of the me concept Mm -hmm. of of teaching that sexual education and really just yeah wow yes I, yeah, there's so much. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot, but, but it, you know, it's it makes so for much. a good career. I'm like, it's work. It, it's, it, you I, know, it does. <laughs> and it's so needed. You yeah. know, I think that it's so needed because I think that for whatever reason, the community at large shies away so much from speaking about sex. Mm-hmm. I mean, when my son was little, I said, I'm going to call body parts what body parts are supposed to be called. We're not calling it a wee-wee. We're not calling it your little friend. We're calling it a penis. And my daughter as well, the same thing. We're not calling it a shoo-shoo or whatever you call it. We're calling it a vagina. And my- don't get me wrong, because I do think those names represent the creativity in our communities. Oh, right? absolutely. So I do. Calling things sugar walls. Like, I love that. Look. I can get down with any of those. But and it needs to be on both ends because you exactly. also need to know the Because if you don't know what the real name is, yes. and you, there, there's a problem, right? Yes. But then there was also this thing. So when my son started school, he took the bus. He was taking the bus. He was going to first grade. Mm-hmm. And I get a call from the principal. Now, mind you, I live in a predominantly white area. Mm-hmm. And so I get a call from the principal and the principal says, okay, so I'm calling because there was um, an incident on the bus. I was like, well, tell me what happened. Right. You know, my six-year-old son. Well, he said penis on the bus. I was still waiting for the shoe to drop. I'm like, okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and he yes. says, yes. So um, it's probably, I don't even remember what he said, maybe to the effect of, um, some people may feel uncomfortable with that or what happened. I, I don't even remember. All I remember mm-hmm. is he sent penis on the bus and I thought, and 
tell me more. Like, right. what is, were they, what I is mean, the it wasn't, they were showing up. Like, what were they doing? What, what was the content? There was no showing. There was, they were talking and he was just talking about it. I'm not sure what they were talking about, but he said penis. So penis stood out to everybody. Everything else was gone. Like the rest <laughs> of the story. This is like a record scratch. <laughs> <laughs> how amazing <laughs> myself i'm like how sweet how right how is it that this did it this is the right word to use right but this is the problem right and what's interesting to me is what i perceive to be is the reaction to there being conversation about sex which is interesting because had he not used the word penis you wouldn't even know what they were talking about. And they'd still be talking about They would sex. still be talking about <laughs> sex. So, so it might be useful to have them use the words so we can recognize what is actually happening in terms of their conversations and be attuned enough to yes. say, okay, okay, oh. I see what y'all are talking about. That's normal. Let's, okay, you said this thing. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Right? Or let's get the right information in here. Yes. Let's, oh, that, that's really, that's or really let's not. Just, let's recognize when we need to establish boundaries, right? So this part may not be the conversation yes. for us. But if you don't know, and they're just talking about a willy whacker, yes. you don't know what that, <laughs> and they just willy whacking and what, you know, and you just, and you're oh, like, oh, they're talking about willy whackers. Right. <laughs> right. We're trying to help you. We're trying to help you out, <laughs> help you out and so I had to turn to my son and I said to my son I said okay first of all penis is not a bad word Mm. (laughs) it's not a bad word it is actually the right word to use for your body part so I want but I said also but I want you to understand that some people are a little uncomfortable because they don't use that word because it makes them uncomfortable Mm -hmm. so I think that you need to, although you know the word and you know exactly what it's about, you might want to not use it on the bus. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, cause I just, I was like, okay. Right. So I had to talk to him about using the right word about the right body part. And, you know, <laughs> just, right. but these are the, but that's also an important skill, right? Because we yes. recognize that, you know, in, in a, particularly in um, a society that's still, has some challenges when it comes to black folks and wanting to regulate black bodies. Right. You know, the ability to code switch is still valuable, right? The ability yes. to like master your ceremony and recognize, okay, this is not a safe space for me to be myself. That doesn't mean there's something wrong with me. That just means yes. I need to shift in order to make it through the situation. That's right. still a valuable skill that young folks need. It is a valuable skill and it is absolutely something that they need. And, you know, and I know that to be, you know, yeah. and I, yeah. you know, and, you know, on the one hand, you don't want it to have to be the, the norm, the thing that needs to be done. Sure. On the other hand, people aren't ready. Yeah. And it's less about what should be and more about what is. What is. It's right. just recognizing what is. And, and that is the big piece, too, I think is important to really kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling the broader conversation around, you know, folks who might be like, well, why is it that I should have to do this? And why should my kid have to da 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 da? It's not about a should. It's not right? a should. It's about... It's just- what is the situation, right? Yes. You know, is this going to help you? Like, is this, is this battle worth, you know, right. dying for? Like, right. is it, are you is, is this the, the hill you want to die for? Die right. on. Exactly. <laughs> and, and in most cases, oh, it's not okay. Fine. Right. 
And right. then when we get home, we're going to talk about what was y'all talking about? Talk right. about your penises. Tell right. me. Right. I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my word. Yes. So it is, you know, I, I, I appreciate so much the work that you're doing because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, my sister and her partner, they do a show or they did a show prior to COVID for many years and I, they, they may be coming back, but it's called The Sweet Spot. Mm-hmm. And what mm-hmm. they do is they bring sex positivity for all. So it's all that. inclusive and they talk about sex. They um, do, a, it's a burlesque show, but it's Ooh. a burlesque in the old style in that you have a burlesque dancer, but you also have like a comedian and a poet and a written word, reading written word. And they yeah. demonstrate some BDSM and they do all of this in a space that they create as a safe space, mostly for black people, but open to everyone yeah, who's I ready to, you know, confront that sex positivity to realize that we are sexual beings we do have these thoughts and ideas and feelings and 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 we move in certain ways and we have this and we need to be able to acknowledge it yeah and so i love that you are doing the education of it thank you you know for others and it's just you know i because i think that it's so it's so needed it's yeah. so needed because the, the, the patriarchal, puritanical, you know, white supremacist society that we live in that says, you know, um, sex is really for men and not for women. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so if you're a woman and you're enjoying sex, there's something wrong with you. Right. Right. Or that says that you're a black woman. So you must be a sexual animal mm-hmm. and you know, all these different things that you, that you know, that, that, that are out there and you go, yeah. how did, how does that, how, ah, how yeah. that to me, like, it doesn't make sense to me. Exactly. Exactly. You have to, you have to kind of mull it and, you know, do that. Yeah. So, oh, thank yes. you so much. Thank you. So you have a podcast. I do. And yes. it is called what? <laughs> it gonna, is called, I'm going to link it in the show notes for sure. But Yes, please, please do. It is yes. called TSOB with Dr. G. And TSOB is an acronym that stands for the sex ed of Black folk. And it is particularly um, conversations that I have with Black folks who do sexuality, whether they're educators, therapists, most of the time it's educators, but just professionals in the work yeah. talking about their experiences as, you know, Black folks doing this work. And yeah. um, a lot of times, and to me, it's rooted in culture and it's mm-hmm. rooted in our lived experience. And I bring people based on what I perceive to be their, uh, what, what did you say? Their, their, gen- zones their of zone genius. of genius. Yes. Zone of genius. Yes. Yeah, so I invite them to come in and we usually have a good old time. And so. I can imagine. I know yes. I listened to one. I was like, yes, this is awesome. <laughs> So that's fantastic. So I'm definitely going to um, link it in the show notes that people can find yes, your podcast. Please. And then you have a book coming out. Tell us about your book. I'm so yes. excited. Yes, I'm super excited as well. <laughs> it is a labor of love that has been ooh, five years in the making. Um, wow. So the book is, uh, it's coming out on Rutledge. Um, it's called Black and Sexy, A Framework of Racialized Sexuality. And yes. it's essentially covering the theory that I talked about, Black sexual epistemology, just mm-hmm. looking at 
sharing notes from my research that I did mm-hmm. with folks talking about what sexiness is to them mm-hmm. and how race informs that. And mm-hmm. so I, it, it is more of an academic book. So if that's not your jam, you may not want to pick it up, but if you're into, <laughs> you know, just kind of nerding out, like, please, I would love it. And, and it has yes. really good stories. Like I've included quotes from folks. So, yes. and, and they're, you know, they're spoke spoken just like we speak in real time so it's it's accessible language in that regard Mm -hmm. and I've also included a couple of stories that in my mind represent ways to kind of think about how race has shown up Mm -hmm. and so hopefully people will will find some resonance in them and be able to kind of sit and think like oh wow I never thought about this Mm -hmm. like if you can leave and and have that then I'm Mm -hmm. I feel good I feel like it'll be a successful uh, read for you so well, good. Well, keep me updated on when that comes out so that we can, you know, push it for those who are ready and willing to hear these stories. Yes. Um, because I think it's, you know, it's important. It's, it's really important um, for sex positivity and to be, you know, to learn as much as possible about how to heal ourselves from yes. the, like you said, the, the generational traumas that have come down and those things that are related to sex and how we can heal from those and go forward more positively. Absolutely. So it, absolutely. Thank you so much. So the the last question I have for you, which I ask all my guests before they leave is what is your favorite dish? I love this question. And it was so (laughs) simple. My favorite dish of all time ever, ever, ever is pizza. I love pizza so much and it's funny because you know like shouldn't you like something fancier but I'm like gourmet pizza I'll eat gourmet pizza I'll eat you know like I just love pizza it's what's your favorite topping on a pizza mushrooms okay I love mushrooms as well so don't get me started on Ooh, pizza is yummy. So I love it. I love it. And I know, you know, a lot of people love pizza. It just works. It's just perfect. It's perfect. Perfect. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Tracy, for being here with me on University. This has been such uh, uh, an educational experience, but just so much fun talking to you. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you all for listening. Hey, did you enjoy that episode? If so, please be sure to subscribe, download, rate, review, and share. It would also mean the world to me if you became a patron over at Patreon. The information is in the show notes. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.